Anybody ever tell you you look beautiful? wasn't talking to you. No, um, beautiful are the feet, but also beautiful are the faces. And to see the love and the unity and the connection in this room is a real beauty. I, I will try not to get choked up. Um, I'm disorganized up here already. I just started. Thank you so much to the Anchorage congregation, the elders, the workers, the preachers, the, the teachers, for putting this together and for hanging in there through month after month after month after month of you-know-what. And, um, and thank you, brothers and sisters, for being here. You are powerful with God working in your life. You have God in you. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You have Jesus in you. You carry the light of Christ with you. And as any part of that is encouraged or or clarified or built up, This weekend, you take it home, to your own home, where you live, but to your church home. The congregations around the state desperately need the encouragement of the one-anothering of the body of Christ. And how wonderful is it to be together. So thank you for doing that. I bring you love and and fellowship from the Valley Church of Christ. Your brothers and sisters there love you very much. Uh, we try to get out and see uh, congregations around the state uh, as a congregation, so hopefully we can stay interconnected. When other people in other states hear about what we do up here and how interconnected we are, in a good way, they envy us. People tell me all the time, Wow, really? I said, yeah, all across the state, congregation after congregation, are connected, not only connected, but familiar with each other. It might partly be because we're crazy Alaskans. It might partly be because we're stuck in our homes so long, we're just desperate to get out and meet somebody. But those wise women and men whatever, 60 years ago, who started this, more than 60, I believe. Just thank them. Thank God for them that we have this perpetual fellowship. They pushed a small pebble forward, and now it's a mountain-sized avalanche of interconnectivity. You change thousands of people's lives tens of thousands of people's lives, and over time, hundreds of thousands of people's lives. As the fellowship and the one-anothering of this state is carried all around the world by people who used to live here. And even if they don't themselves or aren't able to do this kind of thing other places, you've built up their faith. You've built up their walk. You've made them more determined and more loving in Christ. Let me show you a couple of things that are going on in the state. 
You're welcome, Brandon. <laughs> the man in the middle of the picture here, this picture wasn't taken in Alaska. Don't read the Spanish uh, signs on the wall. Uh, this picture wasn't taken in Alaska. But that's Brandon Aarons, the new preacher in the Kodiak uh, congregation. And within a month or so of him being there, the Kodiak Daily Mirror put Brandon's picture and his story on the front page of the paper. Church of Christ pastor, well, it's the news, finds joy in serving. And then it says, underneath that, in quotations, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. They're quoting scripture on the front page of the paper with our brother's picture there. It cost me $9.99 to get this because I had to register with the paper to be able to read the article. (laughs) But thank God that they did it and they deserve my $9.99. So that's a good place to spend your money if you want to read the article. I do have copies at home. I made a few copies, but but uh, I don't want to take away their money and, and break the copyright rules. So go look it up yourself. The next thing I want to show is that Les Guerra is running for governor of the state of Alaska, and he has asked our Christian sister, Jessica Cook, to run with him for lieutenant governor. Our sister is running for lieutenant governor of the state. There is no endorsement. There is no endorsement. There is no political recommendation in anything I'm saying right now. I wanted you to know that your Christian sister is running for lieutenant governor. She needs your prayers. Let God be glorified by this upcoming election. And I have never been in a state that had somebody who was a sister or a brother of mine run for this level of office. So Jessica needs your support. Uh, or if you know the family, her husband is uh, has been suffering with uh, uh, debilitating cancer. He's he's holding steady right now. Uh, Ed Cook and they've been members of the Valley Congregation for more than twenty years. So uh, there's your Christian sister. The Lord takes care of our elections. There is no endorsement. It doesn't matter what party they're part of as far as I wouldn't recommend any of them. Uh, and that doesn't, that's not a personal slam. But your vote and my vote are personal items. We make those choices and God puts in office who he wills. So pray for your sister. And I thought you ought to know that this is a significant uh, event happening in the church in Alaska. That wasn't like that a couple of hours ago. Thank you for your laughter. That says the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Psalm 97. Psalm 97. The Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many islands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. 
Those are amazing things for a king to establish his reign on. Righteousness. Justice. Our Father wants what's right in an absolute sense, and he wants what's right in people's lives. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries round about. His lightning lights up the world. The earth saw and trembled. The mountains melted like wax at the presence of our Lord. At the presence of the Lord of the whole earth, the heavens declare his righteousness, and all the peoples have seen his glory. When God is king, when God is king, amazing things take place. This is apocryphal language, not literal language. This isn't talking about literal mountains melting in his reign like this. It's the power of our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father is sovereign and he reigns. And so in one sense you could talk, call the kingdom of God everything. Because where does God not reign? To the end of the universe our Heavenly Father reigns. So Everything is his kingdom. However, we're also taught that there was a coming of his kingdom. There was a coming of his kingdom. A man named John the Baptist, that was his name and title, John the Baptist made this proclamation. And except for the angels, except for a few events around the birth and the very, very early life of Christ, this is the first proclamation of the gospel. This is the the first introduction that the gospel is coming, that there's a change coming. There is good news coming. And the good news is that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God are interchangeable titles. And what we're told to do, what they're told to do by John the baptizer, John is that is to repent and you I think you know that repentance is a is a thinking action repentance isn't just a change repentance is a is a way of thinking it's a mental choice it's a mental process and when you change the way you think ah and you change the way you act john says you get ready you think differently pay attention sit up and take notice Because the kingdom is coming. God's kingdom is coming. It is so encouraging and powerful. Mark chapter 4 is where we find tonight's lesson. Mark chapter 4 verse 30, if you'll join me there. I hope, I, I think you have room in your booklets to take notes. Don't take notes because of anything that because of anything of me. Take notes because we're learning something about God. If there's anything I say that's right or wrong, uh, please check it in against His Word, because I make mistakes. Did you see the first slide? Mark chapter four, verse thirty, and He said. How shall we picture the kingdom of God? Or by what parable shall we 
presented. Jesus is always asking questions. He's even asking questions about what he's going to say. He's asking a question. How shall we present the kingdom of God? How shall we picture it? What do you think? He didn't say, or at least it's not recorded. But he got his audience, he got his listeners to sit up and take notice. How shall we picture the kingdom of God? It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all the seeds that are, up, that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches, branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. It's a simple idea. The kingdom of God is like a seed. It's like a tiny seed. A mustard seed is, is so small. I tried to carry one in my pocket and I couldn't find it. I've got some with me if you want one. It's amazing what God does with seeds. How shall we picture the kingdom of God? By what parable shall, well, shall we present it? And his choice was seeds, mustard seeds. Simple, but very deep, significant. Because you know in a seed, it has amazing potential. It has amazing potential. Jesus is deliberately laying out ideas that causes people to think, that causes people to wonder. He doesn't just give out information, he gives out examples. He wants us to engage our mind. It's, it's, it's the preparation that John was doing when he said, repent. Get your mind ready. We know full well that we are not competent to run our lives, but we only learn that over time as we look at how we do things and we look at how God leads us or what he calls us to. And we say, you know what? I'm doing a lousy job. I'm doing a terrible job. That kind of open thinking, that kind of humble, repentant thinking is key to listening to parables. Verse 33. Mark 4, verse 33. With many such parables, with many such parables, he was speaking the word to them. So far as they were able to hear it, he did not speak to them without a parable. Isn't that fascinating? Jesus talking to the crowds Mark said he wouldn't engage them with anything that wasn't a story by examples. He was asked by his disciples in Matthew uh, chapter 13, why do you speak to them in parables? You remember his answer? Remember his answer? He was saying, this is, this is verses before, this is up to verse 9 of Mark chapter 4. Similar 
uh, answer in, in Matthew 13. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I know there are some among us who have hearing difficulties, and and uh, my apologies, my compassion for that, but I'm not addressing, and neither is Jesus, that issue. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He says that over and over again. In fact, in Luke 8, in Luke 8, Jesus sa- it says of Jesus, as he said these things, he would call out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, he said it over and over and over again. He said it many times in his lessons. What an, what an interesting thing to do. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Five times it's recorded in the New Testament, that quotation. But that one indicates that he did it many times. It was a, it was a frequent thing in Jesus' teaching. The rest of Mark 4 goes like this, starting in verse 10. As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, To you it has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, those who are outside get everything in parables. So that while seeing, they may, they may see and not perceive. And while hearing, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. I'm just going to sit down right now and... Jesus doesn't teach like we teach. Jesus doesn't guide in the same way we guide. Jesus doesn't lead like we lead. Jesus turns just about everything upside down. Service, leadership, sacrifice, greatness, riches, He turns everything upside down. Obviously, the Lord wants all to learn the truth and come to Christ. All to come to a knowledge of the truth, Paul writes Timothy. But Jesus, in a very specific way, is talking to a very specific crowd, and he does not intend to spoon-feed them. He's looking for people who are, are repenting or are prepared to repent. People who can approach with an open heart. People who can hear the deeper part of the message and let it change them. He's talking to people who claim to see who claim to see, but have willful blindness. People who claim to hear, oh yeah, yeah, I know what that, I know what that says, you don't have to tell me. People who claim to hear, 
but they're not listening. Pharaoh hardened his heart and God agreed with him and joined him in it. Romans chapter 1 tells us repeatedly that, quote, God gave them over to whatever it is. When we insist on our own way, free will is is wonderful, but it's also terrifying. We insist on our own way, God will join us. See, when we come to the Lord, it's either my will be done or thy will be done, to do a little bit of a poetic connection. Both us and God say the same thing, your will be done. Somebody's saying it. We're either saying it to God or God is saying it to us. Okay, Robert, if you're going to go on run your life, your will be done. Go ahead. I'll be here when you're done trying. And hopefully, I'll listen to John the Baptist and turn around. My will versus God's will. Jesus taught in parables because he wants people to connect truly to the message. Not to go through the motions. Not to just get the answers and write them down. I talked to a professor who worked in foreign colleges uh, in other continents. And he try would, he would try and try and try to get his, his students to listen and to respond and to come up with answers out of the books they were reading. And he would ask questions and the entire class would sit there and go. He wanted them to answer the question and nobody would speak to him. And as soon as he would say, do you think the answer might be? And he'd give them something and they'd all go. And then they'd stare at him and wait for the next answer and wait for the next answer. You might be able to get through school that way. But Christ wants hearts. Christ wants people who are personally connected to him, to his father, and to what he's about. We're not to go through the motions. We can all go through the motions. I can put on the tie and the jacket and smile, and I enjoy the song leading. Thank you, brother. John does a wonderful job, and I'll sing the songs, and I know it about my head in prayer, and I know how to get up and smile again, and I know how to drive home. I can go through the motions. And I'll get patted on the back. I'll get patted on the back. I can go through the motions. But going to church and going through the motions is not Christ. He is looking to change hearts and lives. He doesn't give us His Holy Spirit so that we can sit. He doesn't give us his word so that we can read it and come up with some sort of intellectual conclusion. He's put us in a living entity. Part of the message of the seed of the kingdom is that the kingdom is alive. And it grows. It didn't look like much when it started. But he's got plans. Our system is messing with me a little bit here. We are not blind too, are we? Look at Luke chapter 17. Join me there, please. Luke chapter 17, verse 20. 
note to self, test the PowerPoint in the computer that's going to be using it before you display. Isn't it so nice that we're not about performance? We are family. This is not about performance. This is about us learning from our Heavenly Father. Now, he was questioned by the Pharisees, Luke 17. Now, he was questioned by the Pharisees, verse 20, as to when the kingdom of God was coming. And he answered them and said, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of God is in your midst. You can imagine that not a single person who heard that understood that. Jesus doesn't give simple answers. He makes us think. He wants us to be challenged. He wants us to come to conclusions and grow. He said to the disciples, verse 22, The days will come when you long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, look here. Do not leave, do not run after them. He's making the kingdom personal. Don't go after what they say. Don't run around and look for other answers. The answer is right here. Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah chapter 35, please. So we're starting in verse 1. We're going to read through the, the chapter. Isaiah 35, verse 1. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad, and the desert shall, be, shall rejoice and blossom like a crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice. We're talking about the wilderness now, the desert. It will rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and of Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you, and then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. The waters break forth in the wilderness, the streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool. In the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes, and the highway shall be there, and there shall be a way of holiness. 
The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. That's good news. No lion shall be there, nor there shall be any ravenous beast to come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. That's a proclamation. That's a a foreseeing, a foreshadowing of the coming of the kingdom of God. Gladness, joy, everlasting joy. That's us, right? Rejoice always. That's what you do. The eyes of the blind shall be opened, the deaf shall hear, the lame shall leap like a deer. And now, John chapter 35, please. John chapter, John chapter, John chapter 9, verse 35. Is that what I said? John chapter 9. You see, I I deliberately make mistakes so that I can always remind myself that I make mistakes. (sighs) It's correct up there. John chapter 9. Thank you. John chapter 9 is entirely about the man born blind, healed by Jesus, and then thrown out of the temple when the when the Pharisees argue with him and argue with his parents, and then he's all alone. He's abandoned by family. He's abandoned by the crowd. He's abandoned by the the Pharisees. He has no temple to go to. He can he can see, but he's got nothing else. He at least used to be able to make money begging. He can't do that anymore. He's sitting alone. Jesus heard, uh, as if he didn't know this from the beginning, that they had put him out. And finding him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said, You have both seen him, and he is the one talking to you. Now, the amazing thing about that sentence is that Jesus first uses a past, I think it's a past participle, have seen. You have seen him. And it's the man talking to you right now. The last time he and Jesus were together, how was his eyesight? His eyesight was non-existent. But Jesus pronounced that you saw me for who I was. You see, you don't need working eyes to see who Christ is. You need a working heart. You have seen him. 
And he's the one talking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. What else was he going to say? What a what an amazing statement by our our inspiring man here. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into the world so that those who do not see may see and that those who see may become. What does it say? Blind. Pharisees are pretty quick on this one. And those Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, We are not blind too, are we? And Jesus says, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, Your sin remains. This is why Jesus said, I speak in parables. Because physical eyesight doesn't fix the problem. When blindness is built in to the thinking. When you've already concluded that you know what the answers are. When you already know what God thinks and wants. Can you see? Are you blind? You don't have to answer that question. It's a complicated question and answer. But he says to us, are you blind or not? Are you sick or well? Sir, I'm I'm blind. Okay. Since I know you're blind, I can work with you. You tell me you're blind, okay, now we have a common ground, now we have something to work on. When you tell me you already can see what you need to see, I I, I can't help you. You remain blind if you claim to be able to run your own life, if you claim that you know what the conclusions are. We are not blind too, are we? So Jesus spoke in parables. It's a warning to us not to be arrogant before Christ. Not to be arrogant before the word. Not to be arrogant before our brothers and sisters. Not to claim that we are the answer. He is the answer. His word is the answer. We need to be obedient to his word. We need to be thrilled about his kingdom. And when he says, gives us a command like love one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, be devoted to one another, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. When he gives us those instructions, we say, yes, sir. Yes, father. Like the, you can, you can approach it like the, like the father Jesus talked to. Do you believe? And he said, I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. What a great answer. Ah, that's honesty before Christ. I believe, but I got a problem with it. I got feet of clay. Help me. Help me. Don't claim you can see. Claim that Christ is your Lord. Mustard seeds. Amazing little things. Mustard seeds. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Open up your mind. Think. Think we're talking about God's kingdom. A mustard seed. 
Jesus teaches us that that the plant grows so large that the birds can nest in its branches. That tiny seed, that minuscule little piece of what? You've, you've split seeds in half. You've seen the inside of a seed. Very exciting. No. It doesn't look like much on the outside, mostly. It looks like even less on the inside. It's just kind of white, smooth stuff. But it's a powerhouse. It is amazing what a mustard seed will do. It's amazing what a mustard seed will do. How many mustard seeds on a mustard plant? Any, anybody grow mustard? Anybody grow up growing mustard? I wouldn't expect to know what that, what, how many seeds on a mustard plant anyway. I did look it up. 150, three, two, three, 400. So let's just say 300. 300 mustard seeds on a mustard plant. You count acreages of mustard seeds, mustard plants in tons of seed, by the way. Pretty amazing. So if you had one mustard seed, one, and you planted it this summer, and you took care of, of the, of the plant, you would get 300, let's just say 300 seeds at the end of the summer. You store and keep those seeds, and next summer you plant 300 mustard seeds and then you collect all the seeds from those mustard plants and you do it a third summer one seed with 300 seeds resulting times three summers do you know how many seeds you'll have any mathematicians anybody on their calculator 27 million How many seeds in a mustard plant? Oh, about 300. How many mustard plants in a seed? That's our God. That's our God. That's a proclamation of creation and everything else. That's who our Heavenly Father is. How many mustard plants in a seed? It keeps going and going and going and going and going. Now, I know Jesus is talking about a plant that grows huge and grows large. And birds sit in its branches and build nests nests there and and raise young there. Uh, The man off to the side is standing next to a mustard plant. But some mustards regularly grow to be 10, 20 foot tall. 30 foot in good conditions. And that's, 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 that's amazing. But you see, God's sense of power and life is so awesome, so amazing. So in looking up on mustard seeds, I ran into pictures of seeds. This has nothing to do with the lesson. Those are all flowers. Of course, mustard is a gorgeous flower too, obviously by those pictures. But I just thought that was amazing. Those seeds. Our Heavenly Father puts power in those seeds. And you can look inside of those things and you can look and you can look and you can see almost nothing. 
There's not much there. So that's the outside of a mustard seed. And it was so cool, right next to it was the the surface of a mustard flower petal. And that doesn't have much to do with the lesson either. But that was so amazing, I had to include it. Right? I mean, isn't that awesome? That's our Heavenly Father. The farther out into the space you go, the more you see the handprint of God. There is no way this universe was was accidental. <laughs> There's no way. There is no way. The deeper you go inside of things, the more you see the fingerprints and handprint of God. There is no way this happened accidentally. Look at the, look at the armor on the outside of that seed. Mustard seeds are tough little things. Look at the armor. And inside, it's just all kind of a white mass. But look at the surface of that flower petal. Amazing. This also doesn't have much to do with the lesson, but I ran into it. That man is holding 2,000-year-old dates. They found some of them in Qumran and some of them in other places in the Middle East and other, other countries. So they planted 2,000-year-old seeds. God's power in seeds doesn't die. How dried up and shriveled and dead are those things? 2,000 years. And they grew a palm from it. Unfortunately, it was a male palm. And palms are, are male-female plants. And they had to get a bunch more. And they out of the next eight palms, they got a few females. So now they were able to propagate dates from 2,000-year-old seeds. 2,000-year-old seeds. That's what our Heavenly Father puts in seeds. i got something else here. First of all, on the one side, this is the inside of a seed taken with an electron uh, microscope. And even when it's zoomed in, it's kind of a nothing-nothing. I mean, those have got cells, but it's not anything spectacular. It's very plain. And out of that very plain mass, God brings amazing things. Exactly what Jesus is talking about in that mustard seed. Now on the other side, (laughs) on the other side, these seeds were found frozen in the tundra of Siberia. This is a scientific number. It's not my number. It's a a number that was in the article. They say those seeds are 32,000 years old. As I said, it's a a science number. Um, So I'll just leave it at that. 32,000 years, or at least tens of thousands, whatever it is. Frozen. That's the power of our Father. That's the power of our Heavenly Father in seeds. One mustard seed, Jesus said. Let's look at this. Jesus said, one mustard seed, one mustard seed will create and start a powerhouse and start a transition and a change. What will I compare the kingdom of God to? A mustard seed. When put into action, it will dramatically change things. The kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is David's throne from forever. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. The kingdom of God was established and promised through David, through David, 2 Samuel 
uh, chapter 7. Now therefore, starting in verse 8, Thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus the Lord of hosts, I look, I took you from the pasture, from flowing, excuse me, following the sheep to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you for whenever you have gone and have cut off your enemies from before you, and I will make you a great name like the names of the great men who are on the earth. I will also appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them, that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again. Verse 12, When your days are complete and you shall lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the son of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from me. As I took it away from Saul, from whom we moved before you, your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. This is one of those uh, prophecies that covers two people. Because this prophecy fits Solomon. And it's Solomon's iniquity that God had to deal with. But David's throne going on forever? He says, I will establish a son for me? He's speaking of Jesus sitting on that throne forever. Isaiah 9, chapter 6 and 7, you know this, a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end... There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord. If you're not looking at at Isaiah chapter 9, please turn there. Because I want this last sentence to be settled. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. If God says he's going to do something, <laughs> it's going to happen. He doesn't say have to say ever, I'm really 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 going to do this. No, no, no. I mean, I'm real serious. This one, I'm real. He never says that. He never has to say that. But this time, he says, this action is going to happen. The throne of David and the reign of the kingdom of who I'm talking about is going to go on forever and ever. It's got to uphold. Remember the two things that held up the throne where we started tonight? Justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Uh, Sit up and take notice. 
Our God says he's serious about this kingdom. This is, this is significant to him. He's, this is going to come about. This fits into his zeal. This matches his passion. This matches his, his central importance. This is going to come about. And we love the fact that it starts the whole thing in the year. It starts with a child. Thank you for the crying in the back of the room. It sets the setting, right? It gets the stage going, right? It's a child. A child will be born. A son will be given. Even that phrase is significant. The son wasn't born. The son was eternal. The child was born. The son's given. Right? There's a lot more going on here that we won't stop and read. But my goodness, he says, this is David's throne. This is my kingdom. It's going to be established, and it's going on forever and ever. John says the kingdom is at hand. Those who had read these these prophecies You'd want to sit up and take notice. What'd you say? I said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Really? Yes. Absolutely. It's coming. It's in your midst, we read, Jesus said. It's right here. They looked at him and probably didn't see anything. I'm not flaming them. You and I would have been in the same boat. What? What did he say? The kingdom is, it's in our midst. Huh? I don't understand. I don't see a king. I don't see a kingdom. I see a Roman soldier over there. Acts chapter 2. Join me there, please. Verse 29. Brethren, I, I may confidently say to you, this is Peter, of course, talking to the crowd in the very first sermon given to bring fo- to teach people about following Christ after his ascension. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him an, in an, with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, and he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Christ that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. Those are David's words. The point Peter is making is that King David said his own descendant would sit on his throne, and he spoke of Jesus and his resurrection. David taught us about the resurrection of Christ, and the lesson there is that the kingdom is beginning. There's going to be a Messiah on the throne of David. Jesus is seated on the throne now. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20. Join me, please. Jesus is seated on the throne now. Start in verse 19. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ 
when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come jesus is seated today it happened starting on the day of pentecost after his ascension to heaven christ is seated the kingdom is established and it's happening now. You are in his kingdom now. There is absolutely a part of his kingdom that we are looking forward to that is our more personal, direct connection when after the second coming of Christ. But you have been brought into his kingdom now, Colossians 1 verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share. God has qualified you. You're qualified. You've met all the criteria. Done. Qualified. Guess what you're qualified to do? You're qualified to share in the inheritance. Not any inheritance. The inheritance that are available to the saints in light. You're qualified. For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That's past tense language. When you came to Christ, when you were baptized into Christ, you were transformed from one kingdom into another kingdom. You are in this magnificent kingdom. It's more amazing than that. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. It's more amazing than that, and I frankly can't describe these things. These are beyond me. Verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love. God does everything. He does everything. Everything because of his great love. God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him. And what's the word? Seated. Seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Explain that to me. Jesus is seated on his throne. And somehow, some way, in his kingdom, we are in the kingdom and... We are seated with Christ. What he has done, what we participate in, what he has done is more magnificent than we can describe. It's more magnificent than we can understand. Out of that seed, figurative seed, not literal seed. Literal seeds are incredibly awesome. This figurative seed beats them all. It beats them all. From a tiny beginning to a great kingdom. We've done it again. 
This kingdom is God's reign. I cannot describe to you where this kingdom is. It clearly includes the church. It is absolutely the church. But when I read the scripture, it doesn't seem to be just the church because it includes the heavens. And we're going to be delivered from Christ to God as his church. So I say it is where God reigns. It is God's reign. It increases forever. That's what we read a minute ago. It'll increase forever. Jesus, in his kingdom, Jesus fulfills every promise of God. Every promise that applies of God. It can conquer all sin from all time for all time. There's enough grace and enough forgiveness to cover the sins of all people. That's what he teaches us. Obviously, our will has to be submissive to him and our obedience to him. But that kingdom can cover all sin from all time for all time. You are sealed there with God's Holy Spirit. It will defeat, this kingdom will defeat all dominions and authorities and powers. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom. This is Jesus that's talking about. When he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father. When he has abolished all rule and all authority and all power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemies that will be abolished is death. This kingdom defeats all other powers or so-called powers. This kingdom defeats all enemies, all dominions. The kingdom that we live in because of Christ. In glory, it lasts forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And it started figuratively that big. Thank you so much for being patient with uh, this lesson, the bumps and the bruises along the way. You guys are wonderful. You really encourage me. God bless you.